His Spirit. This is God speaking to me. Amen. Good job, Kevin. You can be seated. I want you uh, tonight, we're going to start in a new series on grace. And uh, we're going to dig around in the Bible a little bit about some different, uh, some different things with grace tonight. And uh, this is going to be a, an ongoing series for the next several weeks. Grace is one of the most important subjects that you can understand from the Bible. And uh, it's talked about so much in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the New Testament for us to understand grace. Now, in the Old Testament, we read a lot about mercy. We don't read a lot about grace. But in the New Testament, we read about God's about God's grace and how that God's grace operates. And so um, I really want us to take some time to, to come to an understanding of what God's grace is really all about. So I'm going to kind of just tonight start on a basis of that you don't know anything about grace, and we're going to just dig into what the Word says about grace tonight, and then, um, and then we'll see how that God wants us to apply this to our life. So if you have, uh, you're looking in your Bible, you can go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And uh, so there are two things that we need to know about grace. Two things that we need to know about God's grace to us. 2 Peter 3, 18, and this is out of the New King James Version, says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him, to, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So the first thing that we have to understand is, is that we grow in grace. We grow in grace. And what that means for you and I is, is that we come to a greater understanding of what God's grace is in our life, what has been given to us. Now, we'll look at in just a little while. Next week, we'll really talk about how we access the grace of God in our lives. But you and I need to realize that where the grace is in our life, what we understand about God's grace today needs to continually be growing in our life. God's grace does not change because we know more about it. It just changes to us, okay? God's grace is what it is. It is already what it is. There is, nothing, there is no more grace that God is going to give. He has given His grace to you and I. But what we have to remember out of this, about our understand about God's grace is, is that His grace does not change, but it does change to us. You know, when I started out as a Christian, and uh, I'd hear people talk about this in church, they'd talk about grace, and they'd say, well, you know, thank God for His grace, and, and uh, you know, we're, we're saved by grace. And, you know, and, and, and I'd hear folks say those kinds of things, I really didn't understand it. And I was, there were a couple of sins in my life, just like all of us, that I was really struggling with. And I couldn't get the victory over them. I kept trying to, you know, discipline myself and try not to do the wrong things. And, but I kept doing the, the, the wrong things over and over again. And, uh, and I'd go to Bible study and, or at church, or, and the pastor would say, well, you just need to receive the grace of God into your life. And I'm like, okay. So how does that fix anything? Well, you need to see what God said about His grace. So I look at the verses about grace in the Scripture, and you know what? I didn't feel any better. Because just because you know a verse about grace doesn't mean it gets rid of the guilt or the shame that you feel in your life. You know, sin leads 
sin leads to shame. It leads to guilt. Look at what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. They were ashamed. Why? Because of sin. Not just because they were naked, but they were everything took on a bad perspective all of a sudden in their life. So they're ashamed. They're hiding. We do the same thing. We just don't hide in bushes. We just hide behind masks. Okay? So we're doing lousy, but we're not going to let anybody, you know, we... You know, or we feel guilty, or we know we're not doing right. And, and uh, so anyways, I'm not going to dig around on that too long because I don't want you to, you know, maybe your mask might fall off here tonight. But, uh, you know, what we do is we just hide behind that. When, you know, we hide, and we're not hiding from each other. We're hiding from God. We really are hiding from God. It's not about that we're trying to put on, be a hypocrite among people. We're being a hypocrite to God. We're putting a mask on to God. We're not being transparent. You know, the Bible says, blessed, Jesus taught this in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. If you look at it in the Amplified Version, it says, blessed are the transparent, for they will see God. When you and I, we start putting masks up in front of God, what we're doing is we're not being transparent with God. He knows, but we are not allowing Him to enter into our life through that transparency. And so you're not going to see victory over anything if you're not transparent. So I go to Bible study. I'm telling them all about, you know, man, I just feel so lousy. And they say, well, you know, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, your faith, God's faithful and just and forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I'm like, man, that's really good. Where's that at again? And they tell me and I write it down and then I'm going to go home because I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm praying, I'm studying. And then I... Then I, I look at that verse, but what I found out was, is looking at that verse, it didn't get rid of the guilt and the shame. You grow in grace. What that means is, is that what you understand about grace right now in your life is not what you should understand about grace next week. You should have a greater understanding of the grace of God in your life. And I didn't realize that. You know, I thought grace was just like, everything else you just it's sort of like boom there it is you got it right and now you're okay and you feel good and you got peace in your heart and you know you're right with God and you and you know you and JC are on the same page and just it's a good thing but that's not how it works grace is something that we grow into and grow into the understanding of so the first thing we understand is, is what we need to know about grace is we grow in it the second one is found in second timothy chapter 2 in verse 1, and this is out of the New King James Version as well, and it says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And it's interesting, this word strong that's used here is a Greek word, enduome, and what it means is, is to be empowered by. To be empowered by God's grace. So, the way this actually reads in the Greek language is, you therefore, my son, be empowered in the grace. So how, what, do we, what are the two things that happen in our life that you and I are not only do we grow in it, but we are empowered by God's grace in our lives. And there's a purpose for it. It's, not, it's just not about so that we can be sure we're going to heaven, which is a great thing. But it's even in a greater way that God wants us to walk in authority and dominion here on this earth. Over all evil, over all sickness and disease, over all poverty. And, um, you know, I don't know how many of you are reading through the Bible with me this year, but 
what in the Old Testament, we hit Deuteronomy 28 today. And Deuteronomy 28, you know, man, I mean, it's, if you read the first five or six verses, you're just like, this is awesome. And then you get into all the curses. So he says, you know, blessed are you. And I was like getting really excited because it says, and your barns will be blessed. And I'm thinking, yeah, man, I got barns and they're blessed and they're going to be full. And praise the Lord, I'm going to have lots of baby lambs and lots of baby goats. And I'm going to have lots of little piggies and I'm going to have lots of eggs and I'm going to have, amen. Now, my bank account is a barn too. So my bank account's going to be full. And overflowing. Well, thank you, Linda, that you've come into agreement with me on that. But look, you can, you're blessed. But you know, when you read that, then all of a sudden you read all this blessing, and then you start reading all these curses. And you're like, oh my gosh, man. There's curses too? Well, I'm empowered by the blessings, but I'm not empowered by the curses that are written here. We're going to talk about why that's really important for us to understand. See, God wants us to be empowered by His grace. If, you, um, if you're studying, going through this in your Bible, or if you're writing down notes, write down Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. Now listen to this. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace, who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now if you look at this in the Amplified Version, um, it, it even goes a little bit deeper in this. And it says, um, For if because of one man's trespass, his lapse and his offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, his unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with himself, reign as kings in life. Notice here how it adds in the Amplified, reign as kings. Reign as kings in life. Reign as kings in life. Not reign over one another. Reign as kings in life. That means, you know, life doesn't dominate you. Life doesn't win. Life isn't getting the victory over your soul. You're reigning over it. It's not reigning over you. Now, a lot of that is contingent on where you're putting your time into. Dr. Roy Hicks, who is home with Jesus, preached in our pulpit many, many times uh, here at Amazing Grace. He, used to, he had this uh, phrase that he'd say, I'll try to get it right. He says, there are two natures within my uh, chest. One is cursed, one is blessed. One I love, one I hate. The one I feed will dominate. The one I feed will dominate. See, if we let life feed us, then what life will feed us is garbage. And garbage in, garbage out. And so if we let the Word, if we, let the, if we feed ourselves and nurture ourselves off of God's goodness, of His Word, of His grace to us, then what will come back out of us is that we will reign over, over life. You know, when I battled with alcoholism and, and, uh, and just really struggled. I mean, I prayed. I asked God to take it away. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I asked God to take it away. Sometimes, you know, I'm walking home in the middle of the night asking God, help me, God, get rid of this in my life. But I didn't realize that the way that, at least in my particular situation, 
the way that God was going to work in my life is just that he was going to cause me to reign as a king in life over alcoholism, that I was going to rule it and it wasn't going to rule me. The only way that was going to happen is, is that I had to feed my soul the word of God until the spiritual part of my life became much stronger than the natural side of my life. So, you know, I don't live on a steady diet of what's on Fox News, what's on CNN, what's on ABC, NBC, CBS. I live on a steady diet of what's in the Word of God. I don't listen to preachers that preach doubt and unbelief. I won't do it. I just, you know, if they're saying crazy stuff, I'll just, I turn it off. I don't have, and it's not that I'm against anybody. I am not against anybody. But here's the thing. I'm on a journey. And that is to reign in life as a king in this life through the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I do not do is I do not allow people to speak into my life, whether it's preachers or friends or people that are going to speak into my life that are going to move me contrary to what the Word of God says over my life. I mean, they're just people I don't associate with just because, and I'm not talking about you, I'm associating with you tonight, okay? So don't think, I wonder who he's talking about. No, I mean, but, you know, when you're around somebody and all they want to do is speak negatively and critically to you, they're going to undermine your belief system. Now, what isn't going to happen just because they do it once, because you're around it and they did it once or they do it twice, but it'll happen if you consistently allow that to work in your life and you begin to meditate on it, you will begin to believe it eventually because that's just the way that we're constructed by God. So what you put in is what's going to come out. Say that out loud with me. What I put in is what's going to come out. Okay, so if I put in the right stuff, I'm going to reign as a king in this life. And see, that's why you get so frustrated when life is in chaos because you know in your heart of hearts, in your spirit man, the very DNA of your nature is is that life should not be in chaos. Your family shouldn't be in chaos. Your finances shouldn't be in chaos. Your health shouldn't. There's something inside of you that says, no, 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 no. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And you have authority. You know, God isn't afraid of chaos, but God, when he deals with chaos, he begins to do what? He speaks into chaos and says, no, this is what you will become. This is what you will be. God always makes order out of chaos. That's good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. So I just challenge you. Look, God wants us to reign in life through our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to, we grow in grace. We're empowered by it. He wants us to reign in life. So there's two things you need to do. You need, you and I need to reign in life. We need an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. An abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. So here's what we understand, that Jesus Christ gives us grace and grace, that in Christ is grace and truth. Now we talk about, uh, and I did a whole series on this, it was really a lot of fun to do called about this verse, about grace and truth and the tension that exists there. But the real tension that you and I deal with in our life, truthfully, 
You know what attention is, right? Things that just pull against each other. Is the, get ready for this now. The, the two things that, we, that pull against us is grace and faith. Grace and faith. See, grace, you can't, you can't do anything to get God to give you His grace. It's free. Absolutely. Already determined. In Jesus Christ, already yours. Okay? You can't, there isn't anything you have to do to get God to give you grace. The, the will on His part is done. And grace entitles, you know, we sometimes just think about grace with salvation. But to me, when you look at grace from the, a biblical perspective, you see that grace is like a pie. It's, and that piece of that pie has different segments to it. That grace is not just salvation. That grace is redemption. That grace is healing. That grace is deliverance. That grace is on and on. It works. That grace is all-encompassing. That God, It's God's free gift to us. It's his, it's his ability that He freely chooses to give to us. Okay? Faith, on the other hand, is something that we have to do. We just, been de- just came out of dealing with this series. Faith is that you and I, are, our faith is our responsibility. It is not God's responsibility to build our faith. It is not. We don't, you can't just say, God, give me more faith. God says, well, you got faith. Use your faith. And if you'll use your faith, your faith will grow. Now, how do we use our faith? We believe in our heart, and we speak with our mouth. Now, the words, when we say that we speak with our mouth, we recognize that James chapter 1 teaches us that what you talk about is how you act. All right? Your actions follow your words. So if you, your actions follow your words. It says the tongue is like the bridle in a horse's mouth, the tongue is like a rudder on a ship. So whatever your mouth is saying is predicting your future. Is predict- you are speaking the direction of your life. So if you're going in for a job interview and you're telling yourself, well, I'm going to go in there, I'm just asking God to help me, but I'll tell you what, I'm scared to death and I'll probably do terrible. You're going to do terrible. Because it doesn't matter how much you're asking God to help you, uh, you already are convincing yourself you're going to do terrible. You need to go in there saying, I'm going to nail this. I'm going to do great. I'm going to have, God is with me, and I'm going to overcome, I'm going to go in this interview, and I'm going to give the best interview they ever saw, and the favor of God is on me when I go into this interview, and I just believe that I'm going to get this job in Jesus' name. And I'll tell you, when you go in, when you do that kind of thing, and it doesn't matter if it's an interview or you're going to the bank for a loan or whatever it is. You know, when you're sitting there in the, if you're a banker, you're going to a bank to get a mortgage on your house, and you're sitting there and you're scared whether you can make the payments. I don't think they're going to loan you the money. And you may not realize this, but you talk what you believe all the time. You talk to yourself, and you talk to other people what you believe. That's why the Scripture tells us, man, God, help me put a guard on my mouth that I might not sin against you, God. Help me to be able to speak what I should, the, the right thing. So, going back to what we were saying, you begin to speak stuff 
faith is I believe in my heart, I speak with my mouth, okay? What I speak with my mouth determines my action. You know, the devil doesn't know what you're believing until he hears you say it and he hears you do it. Faith without works is dead, all right? So it's, there's nothing to it. I, I mean, you know, you say, well, I, you know, it's private and I have it inside here and I don't really want to talk about it. Well, then it's not faith. It's just some kind of a belief that you have, but you're not at a point where you're declaring that over your life. And it won't, won't come to pass just because somehow you have this little belief in here. Here's when, it, when you commit yourself verbally to it. Let, let me back up for a minute. In, our, in, the spirit, in the natural realm, in the physical realm, there is, no, uh, there is nothing with more authority than the written word. Written word is authority. When you have written word between two people, I mean, you're in, okay? That's why they don't just, that's why you don't go down to the bank and you shake their hand and they say, okay, great, right? You got to sign a, today, you got to sign a stack of papers. I mean, just for simple stuff. You know, they want, you got to, you have to sign this and that. And they say, well, you can go ahead and take time to read it. Who reads that stuff, right? You don't even know what you're agreeing to in there. They could be taking your firstborn. And for some of you, you might want that. So, um, but, you know, you, you, you sign there, and you got to sign it, and they'll say, and then I need you to sign this, and then this one goes to the government, and you need to sign this, and then this one here, and you sign all these papers so that, because why? Because the written word in the legal system, okay, in the legal system of our earth is the most powerful thing that exists. You can't get people on verbal stuff unless they've recorded it, you know. You can't, which is as powerful as the written word, you know, if it's a recording of something that you said. But if, if you and I agree to something and I, and I bail out on it verbally, you don't have a leg to stand on except that our relationship might be ruined. But in the spiritual realm, the most powerful thing that exists is the spoken word. There's nothing more powerful. You are speaking into your spiritual future every single day. Every single day. What are you saying over yourself? And is that really what you want to have happen? So here's the tension. Grace, God just gives this to us. Faith says that we have to do stuff to get it. God gives it to us. Faith says, I have to believe it and say it over my life. So, you know, back to my struggle with sin. When did sin find, when did my, when did the guilt and shame finally leave my life? The day I realized that what God said in his word, that if I confess my sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You say, well, you already said that. Yeah. But on that day when I said it, I believed it. And so whenever I believed it, now here's what happens. See, when you really believe something, then you start saying to yourself, wait, that attitude, that does not belong in line with this. Guilt, shame, you don't belong in my life. God has forgiven me of that. God has cleansed me from all unrighteousness. Yeah, but, you know, maybe, maybe you need to go... You know, you get that religious idea. Maybe you need to go pray at the altar a little longer until the guilt and shame leaves. Praying at the altar doesn't get rid of guilt and shame. 
Declaring over yourself and believing what God has said over you is what gets rid of guilt and shame in your life. And I want to tell you something. You, do, you, don't, you should not have guilt and shame over your life if you've repented of your sin. You should not. You should not be bound by anything in this earth. You, you do not have to be bound. I don't care if there's a history of it in your family. You don't have to be bound by it. What we have to do on our part, even though God has already said, man, I give all this. Grace is yours. It's all free. Take it. I want you to have all of who I am. Experience the blessedness of who I am. Reign in life because of the grace. And then on the other hand, he says, but faith is the way that you'll make that happen. And you can't do that just by going, well, I'll just wait and see what God does. See, that's where you have this whole thing that's developed now called sovereignty of God. And sovereignty of God basically says that, well, if God wants me to have it, I'll have it. So now you've got a real contradiction in the Scripture because God says He wants you to have a whole bunch of stuff and you're not having it. So either God is, now we've got to come back and say, well, maybe God, maybe there's, maybe God didn't mean that for me. Or maybe, see how it undermines the fabric of Scripture? So now we start saying stuff like, well, you know, it says there that, you know, that God wants us to be blessed, but then it says over here that we'd be cursed, and I don't know, you know, why am I not blessed? Why am I not experiencing those blessings? I'm a tither. I give my tithes and offerings. I'm not seeing supernatural increase. I'm standing on the word about healing. I'm not seeing healing. So what, 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 what do we start doing? We start trying to reason in ourselves, uh, you know, well, maybe God has a different plan. Or we come up with stuff like this. Maybe God wants me to suffer for a while so that I'll be stronger in my faith. Well, let me just tell you that that's all, that is all not true. That is all not true. God does not want you to suffer. Jesus suffered for you. Jesus suffered for you. The suffering that you should be doing is suffering to get your faith where it needs to be. Getting your heart right, getting your thoughts right, getting your mouth straightened out, and getting your actions in alignment. That's the suffering that you will do. God isn't saying, well, I'm going to withhold this from you so that you can get yourself, you know, until I think somehow. He's already said, I gave this to you. If I told you right now that whatever healing you're standing for, God has already given it to you, I mean, how do you work that out in your belief system? You'd say, well, why don't I have it yet? Why don't I have my miracle yet? Well, the reason we don't have our miracle yet is because of that tension. It's the grace that God gives all this to us, but the faith that we are responsible for to develop to bring those things into our life. Thanks. Sovereignty says that, well, if he wants to do it, he'll do it. And look, I believe God is sovereign, but if you're writing this down, you can write these words. God is sovereign to his word, period. God is sovereign to his word. He's not a man that he can lie. God is sovereign to his word. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12 says that he hastens to perform his word. Um, he talks about in um, uh, he talks about the, the immutability of his counsel in Hebrews, where I think it's in chapter 12 or thereabouts, where he says, Look, he says, these things are these things are immutable. This means these things don't change. One is, is that I speak it. Two is, I don't lie. I don't lie about what I say. Well, Pastor, if, 
if God doesn't lie about it, then why don't I have it? Because, see, God isn't responsible for your faith. God is not responsible for that. And so it's like we as Christians, we pull up to this big table and all this stuff is on the table. You know, there's my healing, there's salvation, there's turkey, there's dressing, there's mashed potatoes, there's sweet potatoes, there's some of Raymond's mom's sweet potato pie that's totally awesome that I've had, uh, haven't had in a long time, but, I, but I've had. You know, I mean, some great stuff. It's all on the table. Everything that God, that grace is all there on the table. And we stand there and we look at the table and say, well, do you want me to have it? He says, yeah, it's all yours. I give all that to you. I want you to have all that. That's all. That's what I did through my son, Jesus Christ, so that you could experience all of that. That's all for you. Yeah, but, well then, but, but is it really mine? Yeah, it's all yours. You know what God's try, what God would eventually get to a place? He'd say, listen, all you got to do is eat. Stop worrying about whether I want you to have it. Stop worrying about it. Stop trying to figure out if that's what my will was. Look, anybody that came to God, Jesus in the New Testament and asked for healing, he, not one of them did he say to them, no. Not one. He never said no to anybody. No. No, I, if they said, Lord, if it's your will, he said, it's my will, be healed, okay? So it wasn't never a place where he just said, no, it's not my will that you be healed. So why in the world did the church come up with an idea that somehow God does not want you well? Because they took, a, they took a circumstance and created a doctrine out of it. Anytime you create a doctrine out of a circumstance, you are now into false doctrine. So now we just change it around and we say, well, it's the sovereignty of God. Sharon grew up in a church that they would bring people forward and they would anoint them with oil. And the elders would all gather around and according to James chapter uh, James chapter 5, they'd anoint them with oil and they would pray the prayer of faith over them and declare healing over them. And if they were not healed right there on the spot, they would tell them that it's not God's will that you be healed. Okay? God must want you to have this problem. Well, I'm going to tell you that, listen, the pie, when you have a pie and salvation is in that pie, and healing is in that pie. Prosperity is in that pie. Redemption is in that pie. Deliverance is in that pie. When you look at a cherry pie, how many of you like cherry pie? All right, how many of you like apple? How about apple a la mode? It just got a lot better, didn't it? And so when you look at that pie, you don't look at that pie and go, well, that piece there looks like that's the most important piece in the whole pie. And these pieces over here, they don't, no, the pie looks like the pie. Are you with me? Grace is all those things. There's not, salvation isn't, isn't more important than healing. Healing isn't more important than salvation. It's all in the pie. And what God says is that all I want you to do is eat the pie. But the only way you can eat the pie is because you've got to develop your faith. And as you develop your faith, you will eat from the pie. You don't earn the pie. I give you the pie. Amen? So look at your neighbor and say, God gave you the pie. Amen. 
God gave you the pie. Now, something that's important in the midst of all of this for us to understand is about how that, the, the, that in the Old Testament, I talked to you about God's mercy and how God's mercy operated, that, and I'm going to throw some terms out to you that I know you're familiar, some of you are familiar with, and, and uh, try to bring some clarification to them. We also have in the Old Testament what's called the law, okay? The law. Now, there are a lot of, they're not just Ten Commandments. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a lot of commandments. And the law was very strict and had a lot of rules to it. Now, here's the thing. The law regulated how you ate, what you ate, when you ate, how you prepared your food, how you went to church, what you did when you got to church. How every, so everything was regulated by the law. Completely by the law. And I think it's like 525 laws that there are, okay? Now, if you don't do any of those laws, according to Deuteronomy 28, then you're cursed. Then you're cursed. So why did God give us the law? God gave us the law so that we could see how much we need Jesus and God's grace. Because look, all the law does is teach us that we can't do the law. It really does. Now, I, I, we, we, we just can't do it. And you know, when Jesus came, let me just, you know, because Jesus even made it harder. Because he said, let me just tell you what the law really means. You say, don't commit adultery. I'm going to tell you if you even think about it in your heart, you're committing adultery. Oh, man. You say, don't kill your, you know, don't kill, don't kill a person. I say, if you killed them in your heart, I don't care whether you did it physically or not, you committed murder. Oh, man, he just made it a lot harder, didn't he? Because we didn't even do anything physically wrong. We just did it in our heart, and it should be okay. This is my, you know, this is me. This is in here. I'm not hurting anybody. But the thing is, is that he made it even that much more difficult, but the only reason he did that was so that you and I would recognize that we needed His grace and that we cannot make this happen on our own. The law, Paul gets into a whole discourse on this, the law is nothing more than a schoolmaster that's helping us see, develop us to realize this capacity that we have in our lives to fail and that we need God in our lives. Now, in the Old Testament, to receive mercy, they had to do what was called atonement. And atonement is a, is a biblical term that means to cover over something. All right? Are you with me? So every year, they would bring sacrifices. Those sacrifice, They would once a year bring a sacrifice that they would take into the, the blood into the Holy of Holies, and they would put that blood upon the altar and they would also put blood on a, what was called a scapegoat that they would send into the wilderness. And so when they did that, it meant that the sin was covered over. Now, in some of your King James Bibles, they have the word atonement used in the New Testament. And atonement is not a New Testament word. Because Jesus does not cover over our sin. He does not cover them over. To cover them over means that they still exist and they're just blanketed. He does not blanket your sin. What he does is he removes your sin. And you ought to be really glad about that. 
See, that's the difference between mercy. God gave mercy because of the things that they did physically to, 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 to ask Him for that mercy. Jesus in the New Testament says, look, I've already made <coughs> excuse me, the decision that the grace is yours. You don't have to bring some kind of a sacrifice to the altar. You don't have to climb a mountain to get me to forgive you. You know, or like my Filipino brothers and sisters every year, they have guys that actually during Easter that will they will take and beat their backs open and bloody them so that somehow they can atone for their, you know, get forgiveness for their sin. Aren't you glad you don't have to pay for your sin? Because you know why? Because you can't. The best the Old Testament could ever offer was a covering over. That was it, that it was covered over. What Jesus offers to us is a removal. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of the grace that God has extended to you and I. Hallelujah. John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says this, For out of His fullness, abundance, we have all received and all had to share, and we are all supplied with one grace after another and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, even favor upon favor and gift, heaped upon gift. For while the law was given through Moses, grace, unearned, undeserved favor and spiritual blessing and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's out of the Amplified Version. So grace, by definition, means His unearned, unmerited, and undeserved favor toward you simply because of Jesus' finished work at the cross. God has extended His grace. You don't earn healing. You don't earn prosperity. From God I'm talking about now. God is already determined to prosper. You're His child. Amen. You're not under the law. The law is not over your life. In fact, you're under something much better, which is that you are led by the Spirit. The law only leads to condemnation because we realize we can't do it. We just can't do it. You know, I, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and um, you know, if we wanted to try to walk by the law, okay, to walk by the, if we were going to say, okay, there are 10 laws, we got to live by those 10 laws, all right? Now, a lot of us would do good with, like, we don't take the Lord's name in vain, and a lot of us would do good, no other gods before him, and, 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 you know, we're not committing adultery, and we're not stealing, and, you know, and on and on. But that last one that's written there, the 10th one, is the toughest one, actually, of the whole list. Thou shalt not covet. More people commit that one because they want what other people have. Oh, you got an iPhone? I want an iPhone. You got a, wow, you got a house? I want a house. You got a, you got a, you got clothes? I I want clothes. You went out to eat? I'm going out to eat. All the stuff that we start... You got cable? I got to get cable. See, covetousness is in, truthfully, if you really dig into this, that last commandment actually leads to all the other nine getting broken eventually. Covetousness is a horrible, horrible thing because it's deceptive, because we can justify why we want stuff. And you know what? You do it all the time. When you really want something, huh? You'll do it, and you'll find a way. You will talk yourself into being able to do that because that's what you want. I need a vacation. I'm going to Florida. I mean, look, 
God would want me to go to Florida. I mean, you even bring God into it. God would want me. I hear other people going, and Facebook doesn't make it any better for people because you see what everybody else has got, which they really don't got, but you think they got it, and they're having a great time, and you're having a lousy time because you're stuck in stinking Michigan, and it's going to snow tonight. And they're down there on the beach, you know, and taking pictures of their feet out on their little, you know, when the pool's in front of them, and the sun is shining, and you're up here suffering, through some kind of windstorm and snow blowing in your face. <laughs> it sounds like coveting, doesn't it? See, and and, and you, you understand that, that now we have it even on a larger scale today because of we, we see what other people are doing in their lives. Well, they got that. I want that. I want some of that. Well, why? And what we'll do is then we start convincing ourselves that we, that we have to have that. And it's based off, some, a lot of it is based off of a sin nature type thing that we just want to be as good as everybody else is. <laughs> it's good preaching, Pastor. Thank you so much for sharing this with us tonight. So I just, I'm going to wrap up here tonight. I'm sure you're glad of that. Uh, you know, God's extended a ton of grace to us. Are we extending grace to other people? Are we really extending grace to other people? And here's how we kind of base this. One, how do you see other people around you? How do you see them? Do you see them as stupid? You know, I got to watch, you know, because uh, when there's, when, when, you know, how I look at other people, how I talk about other people. I'm not talking about you guys now. I'm talking about other people, okay? They don't go to our church. How you treat other people? Are there people that you don't treat the same way you treat everybody else? How your speech is towards other people. I think it's important for us to realize that God has extended so much grace to us. We have family members that really, they don't deserve. We feel like they deserve, if I give them anything, it's mercy. But they deserve grace. They deserve grace because that will determine how you'll treat them. I'll tell you how you'll know you're walking in grace with your family because how you talk about them behind their back. You know, when we start saying nasty stuff and we start saying bad things about family members or friends, I had one time, I think I've told this testimony before, but I had a buddy named Gary. He was my best man at my wedding. And Gary and I were roommates my freshman year in college, and we were pretty close, and then, things happened we kind of just went different ways and he quit playing basketball and he was on the team with us and so we just followed different paths and Gary he uh, uh I got to a place in my life where I was talking really bad about Gary I mean I was really talking bad about him and I was like making fun of him behind his back and to my friends and you know and we'd all sit around and you know make Gary jokes and whatever okay and then I became a Christian. And then the Lord dealt with me. You know, we always say, like, Lord, I want you to lead me and guide me. And then when he does, we're questioning, why are you leading me and guiding me that way? But he said, uh, well, I want you to stop talking bad about Gary. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I have been. He says, and so to help you break yourself of this, I'm going to have you go to Gary and tell him that you've been talking bad about him and ask for his forgiveness. I said, well, Lord, I'll, I promise, I just won't do it anymore. 
I won't do it anymore. He said, no. He says, I want you to go tell him. Well, you know, if you're like me, you know, when the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you something, you do everything you can to try to push it down, get it out of the way, change your mind, deal with, you know, whatever you can do. And, you know, it doesn't go away. It's like he's out there going, go to Gary, go to Gary. <laughs> I'm like, oh, brother. So one time, man, I got in the room and Gary and I were alone. And I was like, oh, man, this is it. And uh, I said, Gary, can I talk? I got to talk to you about something. And uh, he said, what? And I said, well, I said, um, I mean, I was shaking on the inside. I said, Gary, I, I just want you to know uh, um, I've made some jokes about you. I, I want you to know I'm real sorry. I really am. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't do that. And I want you to know that. I want you to know I'm, I, I, I won't do it again. And I apologize. I let that happen. And uh, you know what he said? He said, it's okay. And I, I didn't know. He, you know, he was just like, it's all right. He said, that's fine. He says, no big deal. I says, oh, oh, well, it's a big deal to me. And I said, God was dealing with me about it. I just want to make it right. He said, no, it's all right. It's okay. So I said, well, so I got done, you know, and I was like, hey, Father, I'm talking about in heaven now. Look what I did. I went and talked to Gary. He said, yeah. So I'm just going to let you know that the next time that you open your mouth about somebody, I'm going to send you to them too. You know, that'll break your habit of talking about people real fast. And it did. I mean, I just, I started thinking, well, I don't want to have to go back to them and tell them I'm sorry for what. I'm not getting involved in saying that bad stuff about them. I don't want to have to go back. He said, well, God God wouldn't do that. Well, yes, he would. Yes, he would. Listen to this, Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. How you ought to answer each one. You know, I found out something, and I'm going to stop for real. (laughs) When I start talking about other people's faith, I start experiencing the same problems they're having. When I start judging people that they don't have enough faith, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I'm like, whoa, what is this? Now, what I found is, is that you are opening the door to the adversary in your life. You're giving permission in your life by talk because you are not operating in the grace that God has given to you. Grace means not only do you receive that grace, but you give that grace to everybody around you. You give that grace. Who needs grace in your life right now? Huh? Who needs grace in your life right now? And are you giving them the grace that they should have? Are you unmerited favor? You know, like they really deserve for you to tell them off, but instead, you're going to love them. You're going to say good things to them. You're going to be kind to them. Think of how that would change our whole world if we could operate in, if just the church could operate in grace that God has given. How that changed the whole world. It changed everybody. It changed everybody. God has extended His grace to us. Stand up with me, please.
Father, I pray tonight that your grace, Lord God, that you have given so freely to us through our Lord Jesus Christ, 